Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast where we analyse the Star Trek universe from a non-Trekkie perspective. My name's Liam Dempsey and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt Brothers. Hello, Liam. And we are not joined by Paul. He is away uh, with family commitments. To be honest, uh, I think he might just have an aversion to today's guest as he wasn't here Last time, we had James Dyer on the show. Hello, James. Hello. I don't know what that's about, because Paul <laughs> has been able to make quite a lot of the episodes recently, despite having a new baby. But when And he we has say... done two of the four here in Empire Towers as yeah, well. Yeah, he has, but when we said James has come back on the show, he was like, oh, that. No. It is an effect I tend to have on people, so <laughs> it's 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 not, not unexpected. We are joined by James Dyer again as part of our new series of episodes that we're doing where we get a guest on to choose an episode from Star Trek, any of the series that have been broadcast thus far, to pick an episode they are super passionate about. It doesn't have to be their favourite episode. Mm -hmm. It can be an episode they passionately hate, although we haven't had any of those just yet, but that's something to look forward to. One that changed your life or where you met a future partner or something. Yeah, exactly, something you've Stakes got a moment connection to. Mm-hmm. When I asked you to come on, James, uh, you sent a huge <laughs> list of potential episodes that you could come and And you discuss. picked a two-parter because you're a cheeky bastard. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Went with Chain of Command because I think I thought that it would be quite good being that Picard is the big thing at the moment. Um, you've been watching Picard, James, I assume? I have. If I, I can't count the amount of times that people have said, which episodes have started do I need to watch? So I've got this I've nailed down, this sort of mini playlist that I'm recommending people to watch for Picard. <laughs> this isn't one of them, actually. On oh, that. really? Because it uh, has been recommended by others. Well, it's one of these things, like if you want a powerhouse Picard performance, this is the one. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it doesn't relate to anything in... Picard. I like so I think for I always say uh, measure of a man is one to start off with because you get the Picard data relationship in there you get obviously the guy who's in Picard you know he's the guy's prosecuting you get um a feeling sort of how androids are treated I think that's important obviously best of both worlds is important I tend to think family the one one for that is quite a nice one because it takes him to the mm-hmm. vineyard it's got his brother in there um and I've said sort of since that also people should watch Nemesis because again the death of data is kind of important um, people say, like, oh no, they've got to watch Iborg and Descent. And I was like, do they though? <laughs> I mean, it's fine, but I don't know that it's strictly necessary because up until the most recent episodes of Picard, you haven't even needed to know who Hugh is. So I think you could do that, but I don't think you have to. I think you're fine. I think you'd be, and I will say, and if you don't know who Death Seven of Nine is, you need to watch Scorpion or at least some of those because otherwise you're going to be baffled. So that's my little James, uh, list. No one should ever watch Nemesis. Why? Are you <laughs> no, no. See, see, and I'll say, I, I will state this: Nemesis is not a bad film on any level. Nemesis is one of the most next geny of the films. So, like, I think if you're really not into the series and you're just watching it from a cinematic point of view, it's not great. But like. If you love Star Trek, there's so much in there to love. Uh, and I think Nemesis is a great film. I like. Well, I have a friend who's a monstrous Trekkie, and it is his favourite of all the films. Oh, wow. I mean, Whoa. okay, look, that's objectively Defender. insane. But, but you know, just to get... So it's not like this is a universally hated thing. I, uh, I interviewed... There was a, an exhibition going on Hyde Park, a Trek exhibition, the year that came out, which would have been 2002, I want to say. 2002, yeah. Yeah, and so and I interviewed uh, Patrick Stewart, and I did Marina Sirtis, uh, and was it Mar- yeah and Brent Spiner on the set so Patrick Stewart I did on the bridge of the Enterprise I think I did data and engineering like it was like cause they had them all around. it was very cool to do and I interviewed Stuart Baird about this and he he the director was very 
I think he was concerned. I think he was worried at that point. And like, I think the cast had mutinied against him a little bit. And he was you could see he was really like, and he was like, and he genuinely asked, like in a really he said, Do you do you think this is gonna make money? And I was forced to say to him, I said to him, I said, Look, I mean, I don't, but don't take that badly because they don't. Like these these films, like, you know, bar a few, like, you know, the Voyage Home, what they don't have crossover appeal. They don't do massive box office numbers. I said, but it will clean up on home ends, which of course it did. It did pretty well on on, on DVD. But uh, I did feel really bad for him at that point. And since then, like, all of the cast have kind of thrown that mm. film under the bus. And I interviewed Patrick Stewart recently for Picard, and he was saying, you know, he pretty much holds that film responsible for why everything ended. Because they, they had a whole plan for what the next film would have been. Brent Spiner had, uh, had written a treatment for it. They had a plan. It was going to have all sorts of stuff going on, and different heroes and villains from different eras of Trek oh, was going to be in it. And they were really excited to do it. But then after Nemesis's box office, they were like, nah, it's not happening. And that was the end of it. Was so, Stuart Baird wearing his Panama hat? He was, yes. <laughs> he absolutely was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I love that hat. I love that he asked you, do you think this is going to make money? Not, do you think this is any good? Is this going to be any good? Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're two very different things. They you know, are, like, I yeah. think I was like, in, I like. I think it's a good film. It's, you know, it's flawed in places. I think it's very but, 2002, isn't it? Oh, yeah, it's so, very I mean, much of its era. I'd, I'd rather a film mm. be of its era mm. and, and own it. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, yeah, it's funny you say about viewing it from a cinematic point of view only, because, of course, with us, we started with the films. Mm. Our first episodes were all about the movies. And certainly for you and I, Matt, we were kind of watching those as non-Star Trek fans, um, watching very much as films. And so I think Nemesis very much came out of the bottom of the pile for us, and I think that's that's probably oh the reason. come on like, bottom yeah. of the pile. Yeah, of the pile. Have you mate. seen the motion picture? Have you watched <laughs> Star Trek Five? I, I mean, mean, it's, it's not even bottom it. five. You know, Insurrection, which again I really like, is clearly a worse film if you take it on a sort of scene by scene. A lot more fun. It yeah, is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. Worf going through puberty, everyone getting a bit like <laughs> it's loads of fun. But it's not, it's not great. There's a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Uh, Paul, who isn't here is the biggest defender of motion picture that we know. It's terrible. absolutely loves it. It's just unwatchably (laughs) terrible. He forced us both to watch it a second time because obviously it was our first ever episode that we did the motion picture. (laughs) And we all kind of, well, certainly me and Matt were kind of like, ah, it was pretty boring. And then when it came <laughs> to the, the podcast, fort- a big mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. When it came to the 40th anniversary, he was like, right, guys. I'm going to throw the director's edition up on the projector. You've got to watch it again. I, I think we preferred it. I mean, it did feel like the ultimate <laughs> way to see that film, like yes, on a projector, yeah, but yeah. still not in a cinema, in <laughs> Paul's room where you can just <laughs> lock the door. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and he did have to lock the doors. <laughs> I mean, it is one thing I will say for it. Is a, it is a cinema film. Totally like a big screen. Well, only because that means you can't turn it off. Like, that's presumably <laughs> the only way you'd get through it. Yeah, no, it is, it's definitely towards the bottom for me. First contact still raining high. Oh, as first contact. Fabulous. That's, 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 that's an unconventional choice. Most people do go with Rotha Khan. Uh, first contact is, for me, that's the second best on a purely technical objective point of view, but it's the best from an emotional point of view. I just love it, man. Like, mm. straight away when I saw it, because I did see it when it came out of the cinema and then saw it again for this podcast and it only went up in my estimations uh, watching it again. I, I just think it's so awesome, so much amazing action. Mm. that the, the effects are incredible, like, in that mm. movie. It's so emotionally intense. Uh, of course, when we <laughs> uh, when we interviewed Robert Salen, the producer of Star Trek II, Rafa Khan, for the second time in person... 
Paul threw me under the bus when we were talking <laughs> about the fact that Rafa Khani is generally regarded as the best one. He's like, oh, I'm not Paul this guy. was just like, oh, Liam doesn't agree, Bob. I was like, oh, cheers, cheers for that, Paul. Cheers. <laughs> to the death. But today, uh, you have chosen Chain of Command, James. Held captive as a prisoner of war, Picard must endure the cruelest punishment imaginable. You cannot just abandon him. He's gone. Will torture leave him a forgotten casualty of war? I can't believe you're willing to sacrifice Captain Picard's life as a negotiation tactic. Are you questioning my judgment, Commander? Or can he survive the most brutal test of courage in his life? You cannot hurt me! On Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm doing a next-gen kind of sporadic rewatch where I'm just... Well, I'm doing this thing that you do. Just like, watching like, the good episodes. Yeah, but <laughs> the thing is you get, well, that's one episode from season one and <laughs> maybe two from season two. Like, you start to realise when you do this, and, and this is the thing with, with Star Trek, which is why I almost pity you guys, is that there's such an emotional resonance for this show for me that I can even watch the bad ones and there's a warm and fuzziness for me. Like, I love it. But objectively, they're not great. And as a show, it hasn't aged brilliantly because TV has come on in leaps and bounds. Uh, and, like, you look at, you know, what Picard does now, you look at what Discovery does now, and, you know, they bring cinematic structure, cinematic production values, and whereas, you know, <sighs> Star Trek was two things. It was a product of his era, and it was a product of Gene Roddenberry's really, really strict rules that he wouldn't let anyone deviate from, and I think it suffers from both of those things. This one episode, though, or these two episodes, I absolutely think stand out now perfectly. Because you've got, it's, it is a very much a game of two halves. The first half is Rondi Moore script. It's really pacey. It's exciting. Loads going on, you know, in the sort of chain of command structure of the Enterprise. And then you've got this second almost bottle episode, mm. which is like a two-person play between David Warner and Patrick Stewart, who knew each other and had done Shakespeare together previously. Uh, I think that's the only reason Warner agreed to do it. As, as I recall, he wasn't cast as Gal Madrid originally. He literally was cast. Yeah, and like he was parachuted in noticed, at the last minute. Yeah. And he was reading his lines, wasn't he, off Yes. So amazing. Uh, yeah, but he only agreed to do it because he was like, you know, because he was, um, he was, oh, what's his name? Chancellor Gorkon, wasn't he, in Undiscovered Country? Yeah, and he was and in he's Star Trek Final Frontier. As yeah, he's well. in that as well. I forget who he plays. So this, um, this must only be like a year or so after Undiscovered Country, right? Uh, this was broadcast on December fourteenth and December twenty first, nineteen ninety two. So yeah, yes, like a year, year out, after Undiscovered yeah. Country. And is this yeah. the last bit of Trek Warner? Is involved I in. believe Yes, so. I don't think he did yeah, anything yeah, else. Yeah, I yeah. think he'd, he'd never done Next Gen before and he wanted to work with Patrick Stewart, I think is why he agreed to do this. Yes, so, yeah, because uh, they did Hamlet together in 65, yeah. apparently, when Peace Stew was an up-and-coming actor then. Apparently, Warner was really impressed with him mm. and then saw kind of the potential. They're great together. And like you say, it's, it's very much a story of two halves. Because but but this, is, this is because, obviously, it was one story originally. It was, was originally a single yes. episode and then for budgetary reasons, they turned it into two because it is an incredibly cheap near-bottle episode they've mm. got there. And I think they were running over budget for that season anyway. Just um, need some very strong lights. Yeah, that's all you need. <laughs> that's all you need. But I like it for so many reasons. I like it for the the stuff that goes on the Enterprise with Jellico, Ronnie Cox. I mean, you know, yeah, amazing. Dick Jones, yeah, I love yeah. him. Um, so I love all that stuff and the stuff with you know the interplay between him and Riker, that where he like that that the meeting where he sits down with Troy and like gives her a dressing down about uniform and stuff. I love all that stuff. I think that's brilliant. So I really enjoy all the all all the kind of upheaval on the Enterprise, and I really enjoy the Picard and Gal Madrid kind of face-off. It works on a number of levels. It works on a purely acting showcase. You know, everyone remembers the, there are four lights, he's spitting into the camera. How long was uh, it before one of us did that? Yeah, <laughs> you know, which is pure 1984, but it's... Uh, <laughs> 
you know, there's so much more to this episode than that. I love the fact that Trek goes to a number of places that it doesn't normally go to here. It goes to a very, very dark place uh, with this episode because it's a torture episode, but it's not about extracting information because we learn at the very beginning of the interrogation he doesn't fucking know. Like, and that's all there is. He doesn't know. They've established he doesn't know. And I don't even think Gal Madrid really thinks he knows anything. It's about dominance. It's about sadism. It's about power differentials. And that dynamic, it's really bleak. They're like, there is nothing Picard can do to get out of this because he cannot give him the information he wants. Like, there's nothing he can do. So it's just torture for the sake of torture. And that's really bleak for a network show. Yeah, 100% is. It's, it's all about psychological yeah. warfare, that second episode. So, as I said, broadcast on December 14th, 21st, 1992, over two weeks. This is season six, episodes 10 and 11. Mm. First part written by Mr. Battlestar, Ronald D. Moore. Second part written by Frank Abatamarco. However, However, apparently mm. Jerry Taylor did a full rewrite on this and Ronald D. Moore also did a polish and pretty much this guy didn't do anything. I mean, and to be fair, this guy's only credits on Star Trek are this and an episode called Man of the People mm. as well. And so he, he didn't really do much Trek apart from this. I was looking through his credits and he hasn't done much in general. Funnily enough, he did an episode of Poltergeist The Legacy, which we talked oh, about the yeah. other day Literally on Sun Double weekend. Deep, another podcast. But yeah, it kind of sounds like this. You know, this similar situation within the Pale Moonlight, where mm. that's credited to another writer, but it was Ronald D. Moore did yeah. a massive rewrite, which happens a lot on shows like this, definitely. And directed by Robert Shearer, the first part, uh, who directed Measure of a Man, uh, and also directed The Defector, which was Sean McLaughlin's choice when he came on to talk about Star Trek Next Generation yes. way back when. Very good episode. Uh, second episode was directed by Les Landau, who we've talked about before, as he directed Crossfire, which mm. was Alice Farrant's choice when she came on to talk about Deep Space Nine. And Sins of the Father, which was Paul's choice to introduce new fans to, um, when Alex Petrick and Joe Foster... That's uh, a bold choice for the non-initiated. Yeah, I, I thought that, but he's, he's kind of, the, I suppose, the start of that kind of Klingon arc in TNG and yeah. it is a really strong episode as well. Which one was well. that? Was that one of the... Um... The one where uh, Worf is trying to prove that his dad was the, not the, a traitor. Yeah. Yes. And he gets yeah. this commendation at the yeah, end of it. they all turn and their backs right. on him. Yes, and it tied in quite nicely to the other pick for episode which kind of picked up that the story. The drumhead. Yeah, drumhead. which yes. randomly... Yeah, that was mad because we had two um, people come to show, uh, Alex and Joe, who had never seen any Trek before and we were picking episodes of TNG that we thought would be good for new people to watch. And Sins of the Father was Paul's choice. Mm. Drumhead was yours yeah. without knowing that you were picking those. Yeah, because I hadn't seen Sins of the Father. Mm. But Drumhead had been a random yeah. one I'd seen. I was like, oh, this is great. And so they watched Sins of the Father and then Drumhead back to back. And Drumhead opens with another Klingon saying to Worf, like, oh, you're a traitor and stuff. And then he beats him up in the lift. And I was like... This is so weird because to new people, they'd be watching it going, wow, TNG was really ahead of its time. All these story arcs. Like, it was really like that's such an anomaly yeah. for that to happen. But Les Landau also directed 
Tapestry, which was another mm. one of your top potential choices. Very good episode. Uh, but we're not going to talk about that. So, like, but you uh, mentioned <laughs> the date. You mentioned the date here. So yes. This was December 92. Christmas and the, special. Yeah, so this date is actually kind of important. So this was the last episode of Next Gen to air before Deep Space Nine started in January ah. of 93, which is one of the reasons I love it. So Deep Space Nine is the best Star Trek series. I will have no discussion on this particular subject. I'm leaning I that way. absolutely yeah. love it. And this is the gateway drug. Like, this is what made you want to watch Deep Space Nine. Uh, and so the Cardassians, like, I think the Cardassians debuted, I want to say, in The Wounded in Season 4? Yeah, it's The four. Wounded Season 4. And they were in Ensign Row as well, which was 5. And so, But this is the first time you see them in the DS9 sort of livery with the sort of that particular armor that they wear, yeah. that particular look, which kind of prepares you for when you go into Deep Space Nine. And I think I could be wrong, but I have it in my head that there was going to be a tie-up tie between this episode Originally, and DS9. Originally, there was meant to be, yeah, yeah. And it was designed to set up the Cardassians as the main bad guys yeah, for yeah, yeah. DS9. Because you hear about they've withdrawn from the Bajoran sector, so it sets up that whole, you know, the premise of Deep Space Nine, which is the yeah. Cardassian withdrawal, the Federation coming in, the provisional government, all of that stuff. Uh, and I loved Deep Space Nine. And I think this isn't just like a thematic handover. It's not just like, hey, we've got Cardassians, you've got Cardassians, woohoo. It's also that uh, this is a really fucking dark episode. And it set the tone for Deep Space Nine, which was a, a sort of a parable for the Holocaust. You know what I mean? The whole thing, like Cardassians, they were Nazis. And you feel that in this as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and so that theme really carries on, and which is why I love this, because this feels almost like a Deep Space Nine episode. And I, this has come back to me now. I do remember, actually, wasn't it the, the what's his name? Damon Solok, isn't it? The friend in this was going to be Quark at yes, one point and then they were like well this doesn't yeah. make any sense so they kind of killed all that but that would have been a lovely a lovely sort of like handover moment but I, I get like it would have been confusing to start crossing the streams this early well, on yeah, yeah, see, before seeing the show was even on and seeing yeah. them sat there the uh, that Ferengi I was like I don't think I've seen yet a Ferengi in TNG world so seeing Picard like next to one I'm like this kind of is a and with the Cardassians there like this is almost like a blending of the two so that makes a lot of sense that it's kind of backdoor piloting in a way what's to come with yeah, because I mean because you've got I mean, Jean-Luc is in yeah. Emissary, so he yeah. does turn mm. up in that. So you've got a little bit of crossover reaction going on. But, uh, yeah, when but, yeah. I first saw the Frangi, I thought it was Rom. <laughs> yeah, he, he looks really, a lot like really him, doesn't he? Like yeah. Him. yeah, at first. So, I mean, this gets straight into it. Uh, the shortest pre-titles ever. Yeah. Yep. They literally just that's, arrive. That's, yeah. just go, Hi, really card, get into you're it. relieved. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and boom, cut to credits. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Straight in. Mm -hmm. You've got you got your hook there. What in the hell is going on? We find out very quickly that Picard has gone undercover. New captain is introduced, Captain Jellico. Yes. Played by Ronnie Cox, as you mentioned earlier. So, yeah, Ronnie Cox... Big star. Sergeant Bogomil. Yet one of the main stars of Deliverance. Mm. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, the sergeant from Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2. You haven't yes. seen 2 yet, have you? No. Spoiler <laughs> for Beverly Hills Cop 2. He gets shot at the beginning. Uh, and, of course, he's the baddie in Robocop as well. Like So that's he's he was having a big old time around then. So it seems like big actors bring in almost like they wanted to make it potentially believable that he was actually taking over as captain because he even does the captain's log. And apparently that is the only time on Next Generation a guest star did the captain's log. Did not know that. Apparently so. And I, I was like, yeah, I think they're trying to set it up to make you think that he might mm. actually take over. The Picard might die or something like that. Or, or just if not fully take over, that at least it's a, an actor of this stature coming in to be another captain that you're going to see. Yeah, yeah. He immediately starts throwing his weight around, so that's a bad sign. But he does know the truth of what's happening with Picard. So I think at first I was very much trying to work out, like, is he just being a dick? 
or is he trying to help mm. by like covering what's going on uh, by being a dick? I don't know. But I, he... I think they play that line really interestingly because it's a fantastic character and performance. And he is kind of coming across as quite dickish through a lot of it, but it's never going into full conflict because it's never that he's just going off grid really because he does know what's going on. So it's that thing of playing up to like, you know, someone coming in, what their strengths could be. And having, you know, as a bounce back from Riker and everybody. But it's like he never quite goes full rogue or anything. That's never the point. So mm. that's really interesting. Yeah, it's funny because there's actually a line, apparently, uh, that Crusher says to him, which is a line taken from a cut scene in the Doomsday Machine, the um, original series episode, where there's a captain going full on crazy. And it almost seems that they wanted to harken back to that. But like you say, he he never really goes fully off the deep end. He definitely has conflicts and stuff with Riker. And we're, you know, I think we are on Riker's side when he's arguing with him. James doesn't agree. Yeah, but no, no. So I think it's more nuanced than that. I think, I think, uh, I think you're on Riker's side because he's fucking Riker. Uh, and you're always going to be on Riker's side. But I don't think Jellicoe's a bad guy. I don't think he's necessarily a bad captain. He has a very different command style to Picard mm. who's very informal and kind of soft and like sympathetic he's very much like I'm the captain this is the military get it done mm. his whole thing get it done uh, and he wants things done the way he wants it and Riker is frankly borderline insubordinate from the get go he doesn't do what he's told to do he gives him loads of lip and it's like there's no wonder he doesn't get on with him and that when they have the face off which I'm sure you get to later where they have their kind of let's drop our ranks and have a frank discussion Riker's being a smarmy git and I'm not sure which one of them comes out of that worse in that scene I'm like he's being a real asshole. I, I suppose actually I will agree with you about that scene just because I really didn't like that Riker turned around and went oh ask me yeah. like to do it just because I was like mate your friend is like dying out there like forget all this bullshit <laughs> yeah. just be like he obviously wants you to do it just get on and do it he's like I want to to beg <laughs> <laughs> on your knees, knees. but um, Jellico, what I think I didn't like about him is he is far more militaristic as you say and when he's arguing the toss with the Cardassians about kind of uh, land, essentially, is what you say, space. But yeah. they're talking about land in the sense of we won't give up this territory. And for me, whenever members of the Federation lean into that, where they start becoming, start sounding like our own political leaders of today, I get really kind of like, oh, you're an arsehole. Like, I think you're, what, you haven't read Gene's vision. What's going on? <laughs> like, you know, because I, I, I like the fact that they start to bring conflict in. Mm, which like Roddenberry never allowed on of the crew. So of that's course. a big shift. Um, however, I always kind of thought it should be perhaps like, you know, other people bring the conflict and then they're having to fight back against it and it kind of corrupts them as a result. Whereas he seems full-on militaristic asshole guy. But I suppose there is definitely lots of cases of this happening. Even, well, you mentioned Picard in Emissary. What I find interesting about his appearance in the episode is almost they get Picard acting more of a Federation asshole mm. in that than they would in TNG. Because when he's giving orders to Cisco in that he comes across as that guy. It's very kind of um, dark waters that they're introducing. I suppose that's very much Ronald D. Moore that was pushing that, mm. which we would later see come to fruition mm. in Battlestar, which is kind of him untethered 
isn't it? Very much so. It, well, it's a direct reaction to the experiences he's had on Star Trek. So, <laughs> Picard, Wolf, and Crusher look like they're doing an abstract mime trick. What is happening there? <laughs> also, that I mean, from a pure storytelling point of view, it makes zero sense that they would send the captain of the Federation flagship <laughs> on a fucking ninja black ops mission, and also just the three of them, like like Wolf. He's like Wolf. The reason you're here is obvious. What he's muscle. Bring a team of Makos. Do you know what I mean? This no, makes no sense. It's a doctor, a sort of a, a sort of aging captain, and a Klingon, and he just sends them behind enemy lines. And they are just wandering about a cave. For it's, a whole yeah, episode. and that gets Picard yeah. sweating. I know. It's what? just like this is terrible tactics. I would say it does look like a bunch of like elderly, like let out for a tough medical. Like, yeah, it's a really weird it's, mix of like and they it's set not up right. that that cave system like almost identically. Like this is it. And I've got to say, I found that scene with the Ferengi really <laughs> embarrassing when oh it, no it was that thing of going Umox oh, the Umox <laughs> what was that Umox is the sexy thing they do to Ferengi ears no oh, Umox yeah right. Beverly Crusher giving essentially an ear job <laughs> to Damon Solo <laughs> was the most upsetting thing I've ever seen. And she starts putting on her really sexy voice. And you're like, oh, oh, stop, Gates, put it away, uh, put Bev, it away. Bev, is, seriously. It's that thing of, we've brought, oh, this is why we've brought a woman along, so she can flirt she can, with the Ferengi. Just, no. As he's there, like, practically covering in his pants, because he's literally, like, vibrating. Oh, it's awful. While she's talking <laughs> to him. And I was just kind of like, oh. But they used to do, do that in Deep today. Space Nine a lot to Quark. Like, they'd start start stroking his lobes, giving him umoks, and be like, ah. And you're just like, this is really uncomfortable. Frankie yeah, porn. I, I really, really wasn't sure about that, to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, it, it just it shows how different part one is to part two. Because part one is pure setup mm. all the way. And part two is a completely different story. It weirds me out that they were originally meant to be one episode. Mm. Because if they were one, I don't think it would work nearly as well. No, because he'd get rescued at the end of the first episode. You got, yeah. what, five minutes of torture in there and you're done. Exactly. I would be interested to know if the torture part was in the original script. I think it was in so there, like, yeah. but like it was, it was quite. He was being tortured a bit, and then he got captured. Right. Uh, okay. But then they said, no, no, no. Let's let's take our time with this. Let's drag it out. Let's, let's make out. this a play. But yeah, which is exactly where it comes across. I wonder if that's where the you know the super brief pre-titles comes from. Just if they were, if that's a remnant from what it was before, and they're trying to, we're going to cram all this in. Just dismiss him like, within the first like seconds and let's get into this. Because if yeah, it has to go through the whole thing. Yeah, maybe. The scene where Troy is told to basically cover up, <laughs> yeah. essentially, is what Jellico tells her. I, when I first saw that, thought it was kind of quite throwaway. And I think I was also slightly worried because the scene was played as if Jellico is being an asshole telling her to do that. And I was like, yeah, but in reality, you know, would mm. that woman actually want that to be her uniform? You know, when he was saying like I want you to put something else on, I thought, is it going to be worse? He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, I want yeah. you to get down. But actually, Not being funny, he's absolutely right. Well, She's a bridge yeah, officer yeah, yeah. with the rank of commander. Why is she wearing her fucking <laughs> Sunday dress clothes? Like, put on her uniform. Well, there's just been that thing that's gone viral, hasn't it? About what if everyone else is Had the neckline same neckline on TNG <laughs> as, as Troy? And this is a perfect demonstration of that. And apparently. 
actually what happened is when she changed his uniform and this, she was then in that uniform for the rest yeah. of the series. And this was this was oh. more like he'd wanted her out of that outfit and into a uniform and he'd wanted to try it. So it was an experiment. So he Which is great. Because... Which is why Livingston goes as well. Like, because they take the fish out of the ready room because Patrick Stewart had a real bee in his bonnet about that fucking mm. fish. Uh, and they just, they said, well, okay, we can probably use this as a device to get the fish out of the ready room. But, yeah, although um, apparently they bring them back. What, the fish? Yeah, apparently it's the case, because I read about this. Apparently they were like, Patrick Stewart said that basically he disagreed with having fish there because he didn't think it fell in line with kind of futuristic values of mm. would you really keep an animal caged up in a bowl? And then they got rid of them, but then they just brought them back like Bad straight afterwards. This is this is Livingston, the uh-huh. fish. Lionfish, isn't it? That was named after David Livingston, who right. we had on the show, who directed more episodes of Star Trek mm-hmm. than anyone else. And we forgot to talk to him about the fact about that the, they named There was named, a fish named, named after, fish after him. We didn't mention yeah, it. exactly. Ah. But we did talk to him about the Beatles for a good 20 minutes. <laughs> interview, so well, it's is it, absolutely It's fun. a good clever trick, this, because if anyone, you know, if the fans complained about, oh, you've changed, you've taken Troy out of a iconic outfit he just like well it was a different captain all of it it wasn't me well apparently Maria Sirtis was very happy about it um, at the end of the day because and I completely get that because let's face it as an actress she is someone who basically spent a whole decade of the 80s being like over sexualized by Michael Winner at the end of the day, in loads of films with him and I so I bet she was really really glad to be able to do that and get into like with a season and a half left yeah, yeah exactly exactly but yeah we kind of wrap the episode up with the big cliffhanger of Picard has been captured by the Cardassians do you think this is a good cliffhanger well no I can like, this is oh. I think I can see that of this being one episode. I can see how they could have feasibly done it. It would have been a lot worse off. But because this doesn't really feel like a big cliffhanger, it just feels like a kind of like an ad break more than anything. So this, it's this not feels like fire, it could is it? exactly it could come like halfway through one single episode and carry on. But then yeah, the amount you'd lose from the torture stuff would be would be crazy. But I don't know. It's it just felt quite throwaway this this cliffhanger. Even in the execution, it was just a little push in and yeah, yeah. come with us, you'll. Tell us or you'll die. I suppose so. I suppose so. Um, but this is the real meat of it, isn't it? Part two. I mean, part one, like I say, it's, it's all set up. Part two is why we're here. Part two is why this story is considered one of the best. Would you not say? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 100%. I think they're all the best. I mean, part one, I, I perfectly enjoyed it. Pleasant watch. But I, if that was the story, I'd be like, right, okay, this is kind of nothing, yeah. reasonably far away, whereas part two is really, really good. And I, you can tell it's a different writer and director. It feels... A diff- even, I know Ronald D. Moore gave it a polish and everything, but mostly uh, Jerry Taylor, but it feels like a completely different direction, even if uh, immediately in my head, originally, before I looked it up, I assumed Ronald D. Moore had written this episode because it seems so much like a Battlestar mm-hmm. type thing. Mm. But you know, Jerry Taylor got to give uh, got to give the juice. Uh, they start the interrogation scenes with a sort of weird, almost catch up on what's happened so far. There's a bit of exhibition there, which I never understand when you've got a big previously in front of it. The Cardassians are brazen as fuck because they just turn around and outright tell everyone in the Enterprise that they've got Picard, which really kind of like shot me because they don't, I don't know, they don't really seem to be doing it as a negotiation tactic, I think. Mm. They seem to know that the kind of Starfleet won't back down about it. They just seem to be doing it to rub it in their faces and go, because Jellicoe immediately is just like, nah, 
we ain't we ain't giving up. But they can't. I, they can't acknowledge it, can they? And they know they can't acknowledge it. It's that classic black ops thing, isn't it? They can never say yes. Yeah. We sent him in violation of our peace accords to do this. Otherwise, there's a diplomatic cost to that, and the Cardassian presumably would benefit more from that than from any information they might or might not get from Picard anyway. It's another so, case of showing Starfleet aren't white and white. I guess. Yeah. I guess that's the point in terms of and. It is that thing, because you are, like you say, you are completely with Riker, because you're like, save Picard, because you'll see what he's going through. And this is setting up a clash of the acting titans, Warner versus Peace Shoe. That's what it's all about. The Four Lights, as you mentioned before, is a homage to 1984, where they do a similar thing, but it's to do with fingers. Mm-hmm. It's uh, holding up five fingers or four. Peace Shoe goes fully nude. Uh, for the scene, a uh, conveniently replaced monitor to protect. Was it TV Guide's sexiest man of the year, ninety-two or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it was all, all because of this scene. All because. I'm sure. I was just kind of completely gripped by this because it's it's written so well. The character work because it becomes all about psychological warfare. Picard points out really early on that it's kind of torture for torture's sake. As you said, he can't really tell him anything he's clearly not going to tell him anything he doesn't seem like he's going to break the whole thing is just about revealing more and more that Warner's character and I like that that they do sort of humanise him Mm. because they introduce his daughter and this is where I really felt the Nazi analogy coming in because they were showing that he is not a total and utter monster because he's got a daughter and he seems to clearly love her but he's teaching her that humans are lesser than them so he's teaching her evil yeah essentially it's, it's raising her that, that classic world. nazi way of dehumanizing an other because they're yeah. different yeah, yeah yeah and if you dehumanize someone you can do anything to them and that's essentially what he does mm. which is exactly what picard points out yeah um to him like during that and i just found that kind of mental battle between them so so strong and so gripping and well acted even though i do i think peace you does occasionally go slightly oh, yeah. OTT. Slightly <laughs> OTT. But, you know, I think that's all kind of part of the fun. He, he starts it? projecting well, yeah. to the to the back rows, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really does. He starts going <laughs> chewing the scenery. But it, it's so, astounding chewing that, the lights. It's astounding that an episode like this can just drop in the middle of a season, presumably sandwiched between a quite throwaway, like happy, standalone novelty ones. Like, I can't imagine, I don't know what else is around this, but to drop it here rather than as a finale... It must be quite like a, a shock. And I think coming right before Deep Space Nine, like you say, is probably a really good tactic to mm. put it here for that reason. Yeah, I think you're completely right, actually, because in the end, what it sets up for DS9, more than storylines or characters, like you say, a lot of the stuff got removed that they were going to do proper crossover stuff, is more tone, is mm. more a kind of a more serious kind of mm. deep um, tone. And, you know, like the Nazi analogies, come across as the things they were kind of doing in the pale moonlight, Mm -hmm. which was kind of tackling things like Watergate and stuff like that through the lens of Star Trek. And the best stuff for me, I mean, obviously it's kind of, you know, the finest moment in the episode does come at the end because what I loved was that we know as an audience that Picard is now safe because we're told before this happens that they've got all their negotiations mm-hmm. sorted out. They are going to release him. And then we cut back and David Warner comes back in and what the audience don't know at that point is he's already been told that he has to release Picard. So actually he's going, this is my last chance to mm. break him. And it reveals that all that character, 
ever cared about was breaking him because he knows he's not going to kill him. He knows when he turns around and says, oh, um, you know, you could live out your life on a kind of a ranch or something. We could be debating it's partners. Just tempting him. Just wants him to like admit it now. Well, he's just playing to his vanity, isn't mm. he, essentially? Because we actually know that can't be true. He's not actually, he doesn't actually mean that because we know it's not going to happen. So all he wants to do is just break Picard's spirit. And then at the last minute, they turn up before he does break because it is revealed at the very end during that final scene with Troy that he would have broke. And I thought that was really stunningly A particular thing that bothers me about that sequence is he's talking to him about the life he's dangling in front of him. You could have comfort, you could have books. And he says you can have females available as you desire. And on the one hand, (laughs) no, no, but on the one hand, like you're like, okay, look, they're Cardassians and obviously they're bad guys. But I also think it's a sign of when that was made. You know what I mean? I just, it really, really jarred with me that level of kind of objectification and just casual sexism. Yeah, but that's exactly it. Like Mm -hmm. people say, oh, well, they're Cardassians. Yeah, that's fine. And you can read it that way. But when this was written, it was written, oh, what, you were dangling fantasies for the male captain. It's like, there is a a sort of almost innate kind of misogyny to that. But yeah, no, I do agree. I didn't, I didn't even really catch that because I think I was so swept up in the emotion Mm. of it because you feel for Picard even though I've I've seen this episode before like I can't remember seeing part one but part two I like I say the whole point of this podcast is I I never really was a big uh, Star Trek fan before we started this but I did used to watch random episodes at 6.45 on BBC2 back in the day after Fresh Prince and Simpsons and definitely saw this episode Mm. Um, this one sticks in the mind because I remember the whole... Well, you've often quoted the four lights. Yeah, yeah. Up till now, I've been like, what is this? Yeah, yeah. I've quoted that all the time on the show because it's it's amazing. It's up to you. A life of ease and reflection and intellectual challenge. Or this. What must I do? Nothing, really. Tell me how many lights you see. How many? How many lights? This is your last chance. The guards are coming. Don't be a stubborn fool. How many? You told me he would be ready to go. We had some unfinished business. Get him cleaned up. A ship is waiting to take him back to the Enterprise. Captain Picard. If you'll go with the guards, they'll take care of you. And I think it kind of makes it even more incredible because you know the defiant emotion in his voice comes from the fact that he knows deep down that he almost 
did just admit. Mm. Yeah, like Wolves. he was broken. There's yeah. no, there's two words. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. He, he broke him. He absolutely did. It's just that he he manages to conceal that fact and we only find out when he confesses mm. it to, to Council Troy later on. But I think that's on. such yeah. a brave mm. way to go. And I think it's brave for Patrick Stewart as well because at, by this point, I would have thought he would have had some kind of power on the show to say like, you know, if they tried to make a decision about his character that he disagreed mm. with, I think he would have had mm. some clout to go kind of like, no, I'm not too sure about that. And I can imagine a lot of male stars going, well, no, no, I'm not having that. No, mm. no, no. Like what, what I, my character broke. No, no, no I'm hardcore. Like, mm. I, w- I wouldn't break. And well, he clearly understands the character enough to know like this is showing his strength. Yeah, but he'd never played. He'd never played Picard like that. He'd exactly, always understood exactly. the human yeah, yeah, yeah. frailties of the man. Well, he's Picard is, I think, a very ahead of its time, mm, very progressive, male very progressive. Mm. Because he isn't a typical. I mean, he's the anti-Kirk, isn't it? That's the, the whole point yes. in terms of he's not that ultra macho kind of guy. He's he's thoughtful and philosophical. He can be. He can do the action man thing, mm. but he's not really. He doesn't lean into that. He's much more human character. Although he is quite a bell end in the first season. Like early on, yeah. he's really yeah, yeah. harsh, especially Hates in his kids. interactions with Wesley <laughs> and with Beverly. Like you come across, you're like, this is not good. Early, he's hard to like in some of those episodes. <laughs> this final scene of him admitting something. Do you feel that's similar to the in the Pale Moonlight final episode? Because they both end with the captain kind of admitting to either us or someone close that you know they were nearly something had nearly changed with them. So with him, it's in here, it's he's broken, but he nearly said so. And with Cisco, I guess it's like, I can live with what I've done. They've both come to some kind of realisation there. No, I get what you mean in terms of their revelation, but in Cisco has essentially allowed himself to be corrupted Mm. and then, and he's doubled down as well. I I guess it's almost the antithesis then, isn't it? It's like he's, Cisco went too far and Picard nearly did. Yeah, but he in a different way himself. in terms of oh, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He wouldn't have corrupt himself if he admitted yeah. it. You'd just been like, you're obviously, you poor man, you've been broken. It's an mm. interesting thing that the episodes we've looked at so far for this mini series have like played in this space. Definitely been the darker episodes of the, the, sh- the series. Yeah, so certainly. They, they definitely share a kind of, you know, dark psychology yeah. of those And characters. best of both worlds as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, yeah, and that really, with best of both worlds, it's more Riker mm. who's going to that darker place, really, than Picard, because Picard has no choice. He's been kind of brainwashed, essentially, by the Borg, whereas it's Riker who is having the internal struggle of going, I may have to kill my captain yeah. um, in order to kind of become a captain myself. Like, yeah, which is really interesting. But both of those are about power differentials, aren't mm. they? Like, you've got the massive power differential between the Borg and the Federation. You've got Picard, who is, for all intents and purposes, like, you know, coerced and f- f- had something forced upon him against his will that he's powerless to resist. Meanwhile, you've got, uh, you know, the frictions on board the Enterprise in that one as well, which is, again, more power struggles. And here, whether it be Jellico and Riker and stuff, it's all power differentials. And it's what makes torture scenes so upsetting in whatever they are, because it's about someone with power using that power to torture, punish, abuse someone who doesn't have power. And it's what I think makes us on a kind of primal level uncomfortable with these things. Because yeah. a very primal fear is the fear of impotence, the fear of something with power rolling over us and us being completely helpless before it. And this is when, you know, Best of Both Worlds shows, you know, th- 
the difficulty and the drama that you can come out of an overwhelming foe. Whereas this looks at it on a much more personal level is what happens when you have absolutely no power and someone with absolute power over you uses it to, you know, essentially torture you with a handy device that causes pain, thereby <laughs> not needing to worry sensors with blood and cutting. Yes, we surgically so, put this in you. Yes, we put we this in looking, you surgically <laughs> because this is a pre-watershed show and we're on a network. But um, they do, uh, I think, what I like, on shows like this, which have those limitations of the time where they can't show or say stuff, is when they still manage to replicate the intensity levels mm. of if they were able to show Black yeah. Gorm. Because yeah. I don't think it would be any more intense if they're kind of you know, cutting bits off him or anything yeah, like that. Because no. it'd just be like, no, it's, it's he's still feeling the pain. He's still selling that. And the kind of the the psychological war between them is still very much there, and you know that it's all about the sadism for David Warner's character, which is extremely dark. Because at the end, he's not saying, "Tell me the secrets of the Federation." He's saying, "Tell me that there's uh, five lights up there." That's what he's saying. because that's what it's become about. It's, it's dominance. Yeah, it's all basic. It's, yeah, all it's it all about dominance. He yeah, wants to 100%. exert his dominance over Picard, and he wants Picard to essentially concede that he has been beaten. Yeah, um, it's, it's TNG you, doing twenty-four. Hmm. Like 10 yeah. years well, early. but funnily enough, but in 24, it became so prosaic, like it became so routine. Like Jack would just fucking torture anyone for no reason. <laughs> it became just almost a part of moving the plot along, just to get into the head of this guy to show that he would do absolutely anything for his country. Yeah. Mm. And it's well, like which... season seven. I remember seeing the trailer for season seven of 24, and there's a bit where they <laughs> the um, try something other than one torture. The, one no. the characters turns around to him and says, "Oh, okay, Jack, you you could go." And he goes to torture this guy. And he goes, "I'm going to enjoy." this and you're like wow it's got to that point yeah. in season 7 where he's actually going yeah I fucking <laughs> I love for this baby mate. like yeah it's like but I at the same time you know mm. I, I'm a big 24 apologist and I I do think they explored some real darkness and acknowledge that that character is like actually a fucking sadist mm. in there I know a lot of people diss season 6 of 24 but the episode where he tortures his brother I think he's really well played. And there's a bit where he's like torturing him like horrendously. I think I think he's doing the classic put the uh, feet in the tub of water and then electrocute you. <laughs> and he's kind of he's holding him and like hugging him as he's like electrocuting him, being like, I'm so sorry. And it, you really, really feel it. I think it's, it's all because of Kiefer. Kiefer's power. What works about this is, and Picard comes down and stresses that torture has never been a reliable means of extracting yes. information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if he knew it, it's like, it's like it doesn't matter. I mean, it's in Reservoir Dogs, they say it as well. You know, you wail on a guy long enough he'll confess to absolutely yeah. anything but that doesn't make it so it's great it's a torture set piece where the point isn't to get, yeah. get the answer it's completely yeah. that and like in the whole lights thing the fact is that tortured long enough he could see five lights there weren't five lights but that's what torture does like it's psychological manipulation mm. it's psychological abuse it's emotional trauma it will you get know. you giving the wrong answer completely so yeah. it is utterly self-defeating mm -hmm. as he points out ahead of its time yeah. in many ways because I suppose really in reality then a season of 24 should have just been 24 episodes of him torturing a guy. And getting into, wrong information. Yeah, get the wrong yeah. information and then everything blowing up. He'd be like, oh no, torture, every turn, like, torture didn't work after all. Right, okay, so we should wind up with final thoughts of this episode. Matt, have you got any final things to say? Yeah, like I really, I think this is the Battlestar influence coming out and I love how they do take time to humanise both sides. And so Jellicoe's character could have easily been a kind of one-dimensional villain to just come in and like take control of the Enterprise, boss around all the characters you love so much, 
And you could see someone like if he was written differently at the end when he kind of relinquishes control back to Picard. You know, in the episode, he's just kind of like, yeah, cool, there you go. Like, this is this was the whole plan. But yeah. you could see a version where he's like, no. And, you know, I put a note where I, I said, he never goes full queeg. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just different styles of leadership. And, and, the, and the comparison they have where, because if you notice, uh, Jellicoe has pictures of his kids' drawings on the mm. wall behind him in, in his, of, his office when he sets it up. And then the fact that they have the scene with Gomadred with his kid as well. So it's like, you know, both mm. sides of the kids there. So it's showing, uh, this is the murkiness that Deep Space Nine, I think, explores a lot more. And I don't know, you know, maybe I haven't seen enough of the original series, but you could picture this kind of story in the original series being a lot more black and white and being more like the Enterprise are all united on a front to get Kurt back from the baddie baddies. And like this manages to play the baddies as outright villains, but still with facets to them. And the guy who's come in on Enterprise side is generating all this conflict that maybe wouldn't be there before, but without going too far with it. He is just kind of doing his job. It's just He just does it in a different way that they're used to. And there's a few other bits I really love, one being the way Data just absolutely drops uh, Geordie in the shit in part one. Where he's just like, oh, yeah, you can do all this. It's fine. That's possible. Yeah, also, yeah, Data like... in Command Red is really jarring, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It doesn't do a lot for his complexion either. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Riker's blue robe. Oh, oh my God! His loungewear. Like, who's sitting reading a book in a kimono? You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Just spins around a chair like yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, fantastic, yeah, fantastic set of episodes, and I think it really does benefit from the two part definitely. And yeah, for like a mid season kind of story, this is a great way to shake things up. And poor Picard, like he's a guy, he's been turned into a Borg, he's lived an entire other other life that he has to fade away and forget or leave, and now torture for like nothing all this time. So. He's uh he's he's got to be a damaged guy. Yeah, I don't think he gets an aftermath episode with this one as well, like he did with Family. Yeah, he doesn't get back to France after this one. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I mean, yeah, just I, every time he gets traumatized, <laughs> back to the vineyard. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was expecting him to need a couple of bottles of Chateau Picard after. <laughs> and his brother would be like, "Oh, fuck you, back again. What's happened?" <laughs> James, you got any final things to say about um, this? No, other than that, I think that this is, certainly this is the most adult episode of Next Gen there is. I think, like as I said before, this is this is the perfect sort of appetizer for going into Deep Space Nine. And, and I just think it's incredibly deep and adult and brave for, not Network 2E so much, as just Star Trek itself to address a topic like this and to do it with such nuance and to, 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 to talk about not just what torture is and the, the the dynamics between those two and about the fact that it is, if not sadism, certainly about dominance and not about information extraction, but the fact that they go to lengths to not have, you know, Madrid as a two-dimensional evil Cardassian. Like, they do humanise him and that story that he tells Picard of when he was uh, a child, like, really lays out what this is and it actually gets into the psychology of abuse and cycles of abuse about how the abused become the abusers and how when someone has control taken away from them at a young age, they spend the rest of their life trying to exert control on others. Like, it's a really interesting psychological look about how, you know, you know, men who abuse their spouses, like parents who abuse their children, that often it is a cycle and Picard calls him on it. It's like, this is the cycle of abuse. You were abused as a six-year-old. Now you're abusing me. This is why you are what you are, you basic bitch. Do you know what I mean? He's like, I'm not afraid of you anymore. And I think that's a really key moment. And when Madrid reacts so violently to that, you see that he's absolutely called him on it. And that's exactly what the situation is. I also very much like at the end when Picard does his, there are four lights and he leaves. And you see Madrid's furious face and then his face softens and there is the hint 
hint of a smile on his face, the slightest hint, which is not amusement. It's that grudging, almost furious, but that grudging respect mm. for him that he's not happy. He has been beaten, but he respects the fact that this little human did not break, even though he did, but he doesn't know that. Like <laughs> he said that he, he couldn't break him. And I think there's, there's a sense there that there is a, you know, it's like almost like a Stockholming thing. Do you know what I mean? Like there's a bond there mm. that he feels a grudging respect for this human. I mean, he's lucky at the end when he was speaking to Troy that David Warner didn't just burst in and go, oh, I knew it! <laughs> I knew it! <laughs> I knew I broke you! I win! <laughs> <laughs> I do think you're right. They really play into... I really like that moment where they talk about the Cardassians used to be a peaceful people. Mm, until and the military sort yeah, of hunter took over. You really mm. feel the Nazism aspect of that, of, you know, a lot, a lot of people, if you look back at that, they kind of actually uh, really did improve Germany's economy mm. at the time. And that's kind of d definitely seems like a direct parallel. I know that originally there was meant to be a big space battle with the yeah. Kardashians at the end, which but, they cut for budget. Yeah, bottle episodes don't get big space battles. <laughs> but I'm so glad yeah. that they didn't because I think it's so much better this mm. way. They, it's all about... Um, a personal war between yeah. two men and that's what really It might have matters. become the episode with that big battle at the end. Exactly. That's exactly. the point. Um, yeah, so this, like many of the other episodes we've discussed um, for this run of episodes, has been voted on tons and tons mm. of lists. It's on every like, list. Up, up but it's not normally hard. like top 10. It normally floats just outside the top 10 of most people's lists, which I think is a little harsh, if I'm honest well, with you. Well, James, you say that. I, I'd like to know how much involvement <laughs> you had in Empire's <laughs> top 50 of all Star Trek, where this was this is a number 16. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd noticed that, actually. <laughs> I, I did not do that list, it has to be said. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was another item. I would have shoehorned your way in. Well, like, it's... Like, but there yeah. are, like, if you look at all the 15 before it, they are good episodes. But no, I wouldn't have... Uh, but then, as I recall, that's not a next-gen list. That's a complete it Star a Trek complete list. Star so Trek. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of stuff. And frankly, there are a lot of Deep Space Nine episodes that I think can pad out a top 10. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, would I... If you're including all Trek episodes, then mm, would it make top 10? Maybe. I'd have to I'd have to relook at it. But uh, I think most of my top 10 will be Deep Space Nine episodes. But TNG. Yeah, TNG. Like, like, yeah, like. absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. I think, I think it's an incredible. TNG episode? My favourite TNG episode. Mm -hmm. It's this or I love Yesterday's Enterprise, obviously, as well. I mean, it's always, Darmok is amazing. Mm. Love that, too. Uh, Measure of a Man's a really, really good. But these are all good mm. for different reasons. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely up. It's one of those things where I don't know that I... There's one single next gen that I could pick out. I think I'd struggle with that a little bit, not least of all because the good ones are two parters. But um, but yeah, it would be it would be it, top five. I would think if, if we counted this as a single episode, then it would be top five. That's the difficult thing, isn't it? Because part yeah. one, I love part one, oh, but part one, I think part one's great, but for totally different reasons. Like I love the, I like the interplay, I like the shaking, I like bringing conflict to the internal workings of the Enterprise, which never fucking happened. Like, Roddenberry was like, no, they all pull together and it's external threats, which is the complete opposite of Battlestar Galactica, which is, yes, there's an external yeah. threat, but it's about internal conflict because that's where the drama is. And Roddenberry, maddening man, uh, never really understood that. But um, I, uh, and I, and I love this, that you've suddenly got all this yeah. stuff going on. You know, Humans it's, it's fuck fun. things up. Exactly. <laughs> it's in our nature. Uh, you know, you bring in this external guy and everything kind of goes mental. And like, there's even that bit, like that look that Geordie gives down and he's just like you mother you know like, I even like that I'm like god he's got them all at each other's throats this is brilliant um, but yeah but it's it's not on not on a level with the second part no you didn't mention the inner light 
I do like the inner light a lot. I do like the inner light a lot. It's quite whimsical. Uh, but uh, and it's and it has punch, it has a real punch at the end when you see him in the Jeffries tube, you know, playing the whistle yeah. and, and whatnot. That's you know. Uh, that's 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 one of those episodes that I objectively say is brilliant. It's not one of my favourites though. Right. This is becoming a weird trend because obviously these episodes are about us getting someone who is a big hardcore yeah. Star Trek fan. So and when Andrew Keats came on to talk about In the Pale Moonlight, when we mentioned the inner light, <laughs> he, he kicked off <laughs> and was just kind of like and he had the same opinion as you, where he said he definitely he clearly liked it and said that like, you know, if it was on TV, mm. he'd watch it and have a little cry. Just consider it a bit of a basic pick. Yeah, it? yeah. He like, or an obvious that, pick. That was it. Yeah. He was, he was kind of like basic bitch pick. He was just kind of like, yeah, why can we get over the inner light? Why does everyone say it's the best? It's not the it's best. Not the best. Like, it's not the like, best. Yeah. But it's one of those things where when you've seen it, you, you know you've seen something quote unquote important. Like mm. this was, this has weight to it emotionally. But, you know, I'd much rather watch, you know, the, the Dominion War than sit through the fucking inner light. It's like, <laughs> I'm not messing about. I want to see ships exploding. Or, you know, there's there's a lot more excitement and fun to be had. Like, I love all the Klingon episodes. Love them to bits. Mm. Like, those are some of my favorites. Or most of them being, being, Ron Moore ones. Uh, and I love when the Klingons turn up at uh, Deep Space Nine. I always say Deep Space Nine got good when Worf turned up uh, and Cisco shaved his head. Like that's that's the turning point, isn't it? Yeah. Cisco shaves his head and the, and the series Goes kicks into overdrive, overdrive. You know, Riker gets a beard. That's a good sign as well. Facial hair, there's a trend here. Um, <laughs> Actually, there's been the teaser trailer for each new season about to come. It's just like s- snippets of him just. Z- but there's the always head, a thing, isn't there? And with Voyager, it's Scorpion, like Seven of Nine coming in, and yeah. that show kicks up a notch. But there, it always, and I always say, this when people say oh you know you know discovery was was good i'm like no no you don't understand all track shows are terrible when they begin <laughs> and they build up speed over time whereas discovery's just landed with a bang you know like it was massive mm. and picard as well the first three episodes of picard were incredible the next three less so but uh but it's you know i'm digressing i'm digressing. well no that's that's fine while we're here because we haven't watched any picard yet because oh. we're saving it up Oh, for yeah. when we do like a spoiler special at the end of the run um, and we're going to kind of binge it all together. So give us your non-spoilery thoughts. Non-spoilery thoughts. On the episode so far. Uh, the first three, magnificent, but I honestly, I think they're one episode. I went to the premiere of this in London and Patrick Stewart came out as part of the Q&A and he had said he had wanted them to show the first three episodes of the premiere and they refused and only showed the first one. And he's absolutely right because those first three are an extended pilot. There's essentially one story that sets up the show mm. uh, and loads happens and it's an incredible sort of like three episodes and then the next two after that fall into a more tricky format where they're slightly more episodic you know stuff goes on they're a little bit silly in places <laughs> at one point there's a French accent that's what I'm going to say and an eye patch but um, but then then you know you get those two episodes and then by the time six kicks in then the plot starts to spin up so stuff's happening you know it's good um, it's a very different Picard a very different Picard because he's frail and he's I'm not going to say doddery because that's disrespectful but do you know what I mean like he's an old man he's a man in his 80s you know it's like it's a very different man to the man we're used to he's certainly not the Picard of Chain of Command um, so he, not it, as ripped no it was certainly not as ripped <laughs> but he's not as self-assured he's that way and you know when people yeah. get older and they lose some of that confidence yes. and he has that slight you know, he's still got it. He's still Picard, don't get me wrong. But he has that slight, he's unsure of himself. And I really like that about it. And mm. when I spoke to Stuart, he said like one of the reasons he agreed to do this is because he was like, 
do for Star Trek what Logan did for yeah. Wolverine. Yeah, and that, he loved that, that idea of going back to this character, like an older version of this character, you know, in his twilight years, sort of rediscovering it. Uh, and I think that's that's really good in this. There is a character in this called Raffi, and she calls Jean-Luc Picard JL. And it every time she does it, <laughs> I want to... Oh, I can't. I'm like, disrespect. It's Jean-Luc fucking Picard. Like, it's like, you know, you wouldn't call the president like Jim. It's, it's Mr. President. It's Captain. It's Jean-Luc if you must. It is not now, ever, nor will it ever will be, JL. Don't do it. Bugs the shit out of me. Be, uh, having watched the trailer, he seemed to be getting disrespected all over the place. That seems to be a big thing. Yeah, he like, gets quite a bit of that. He was in Starfleet and they were like, oh, go home to your vineyard, Picard. I mean, well, when you see it, that's it's it's like they're dropping F-bombs at him. Like, it's properly like <laughs> they quite literally tell him to fuck off. Well, this is it's the new quite... discovery way of things, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, like and it's really jarring. F-bombs. I said, you swear it's Jean-Luc Picard? <laughs> How dare you? My man JLP. Oh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 there's some there's some good stuff. There's I'm some very, I'm very stuff. fascinated to see yeah, really what well, to, to see the show in general, and then to see what is going to be Discovery's season four kickoff point yeah. to the next point and yeah. Picard season, season four. Oh, I mean, when they get to the oh, season right, four, right, it gets right, good right. stage. Oh right, okay. <laughs> it gets better stage. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I think I'm, so, I'm not... I think Discovery skipped all that. I yeah, think, I think they've, has, they've yeah. gone straight in. It's like, very yeah. much a peak TV version of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's you know, Discovery is completely serialized, isn't it? I mean, it's interesting that you say about having episodic episodes for Picard because. Discovery doesn't really have Well, those. season two, once you get past the first one, like you have a few which feel a bit Planet of the a Week. Few. And so much so that it rubbed me up the wrong way a bit. I was like, well, what's going on? Stop this. Stop this now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, like the ones I can think of are in season one, the Groundhoggy Day episode. Yeah. And that's kind of episodic. And in season two, the episode where they go down to that planet. Yeah. And then they completely gaslight that yeah. poor guy. Being like, oh, no, we're not here really, <laughs> mate. We're never like, here. He's yeah. like, Oh, oh going crazy. God. I felt really sorry for him. But yes, uh, it's been a pleasure to have you back, uh, James. Pleasure to be here. Where can we find you on uh, the socials? At, uh, well, on social, at James C. Dyer on Twitter and Instagram. And obviously every Friday on the Empire podcast and every Monday on the Pilot TV podcast. And Fantastic. you've just won an award for we the did. Pilot TV we podcast. We did indeed. Congrats. Best Entertainment Podcast 2020 at the Publisher Podcast Awards. Amazing. Which is very nice. It has glitter in it, my award does. I saw the award I've never had an award with glitter in it before. I'm pretty (laughs) excited. Who's keeping hold of that or is it being passed around? It's upstairs. It's upstairs. upstairs. Okay. Oh, in the the cabinet. In the communal communal space, yeah. In in the gum cabinet. We're doing a heist on the way. Yeah, well, I I remember what it was like, the communal cabinet when I won my Kodak Award. Like, uh, I won a Kodak Award uh, as part of the... Kodak do an awards every year called the Kodak Student Commercial Awards mm. at BAFTA for all the kind of film degrees uh, in the country. Everyone takes part. Previous winners include Joe Wright. And I was nominated for an award from that when I was doing my film degree for writing and directing a, a commercial and won an award, Big Glass K. And I remember literally my university were like, because obviously they'd funded the oh, films and everything like that. They were like, to most people, usually, they were like, oh, that will go in our awards cabinet because, you know, it's it's our award too. And I was just like, it's got my name on it, mate. See you later. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, that is still on my mantelpiece to this day. Like, they'll hunt uh, yeah. you down. They'll find you. <laughs> yeah, they're like, wait a minute. It's missing here. We want it back. Definitely would encourage all our listeners to go and listen to the Pilot TV podcast. It is really, really great. And I think it's kind of 
plugs a bit of a gap, really, because mm. you know, having a podcast that kind of each week is picking out that kind of cinematic kind of TV cut through all. Like, the, yeah. yeah, we watch all the terrible shows so that uh, so that you don't have to. Well, it's a public I mean, service, really. Now there's really. just there's there are there is just too much. There like, is yeah, I mean, lot. I think last year there was five hundred narrative TV shows in the US yeah. alone. But well, we watched three to four new shows a week. Yeah, for the show. Uh, so, and we don't do everything like we no, cut through most then we re- watch those and then we tell you which ones you should watch <laughs> if, never, if any you can never actually carry on watching a show it's always just what? the stuff do you know what oh, you really struggle sometimes much. like I, honestly it's my, my watch list is brutal <laughs> Uh, so yeah sometimes I'm like this show was great I've only seen the first four or five episodes because I never got to finish it <laughs> but no I, I try and I try and get to the end of all, all the good ones we're all just chasing that euphoric high of this modern world where you can decide you know what I'm not going to carry on with this oh I'm free I'm yeah. free of it they, do you know what there's something really cathartic about yeah. that I've, I've done that a few especially times especially when you're really far into it and you still do yeah, it like, like five mm. I did that with The 100 did you ever watch The 100 no yeah I got about five, I watched it for four years or something <laughs> and then at one point halfway through season five or something, I went do you know what Nuff's enough. And I just turned it off and I never went back. And I've done that a few times. It's really cathartic. I highly recommend None it. None of these Star Trek the shows would survive in today's world having I mean, like two shit seasons. You're first. right. But they wouldn't. But then we talk about this a lot on the pilot podcast is that back then, like your options for entertainment yeah. were pretty limited. So, so you know, you could get away with watching quite mediocre stuff because there was nothing else going on. 100%. Whereas now, you're so spoiled for choice. Something's, and we say this on the podcast, like we watch a show, was it good? Yeah, so you can watch it again? No. Why? Because it wasn't great. Because there's so yeah. much stuff that's great. There's no room for stuff that's just good. So that's, that's the bar has it, been raised so high. That's why I find it so interesting that there are like network shows like that that do still exist, like the 100, because they're they're about sort of 20 something episodes a season, I think, mm. and, and I think they've just advertised their final season, which must be six or seven. And so there's that, and there's like Supernatural that never dies, and there's well, ones that Supernatural's just... in its last season at the moment, but yeah. it's like 16. It is like yeah. 16. Yeah, it's season 16, I think. It's, so they it's do nuts. come around still somewhere. I think it's, it's just these genre shows on niche networks well, that have their orbit. Riverdale. They've just <laughs> renewed like uh, Law and Order. Like Dick yeah. Wolf's just done this massive for like another 30 odd years of, and I'm like this, and I've gone on rants about this on Pilot. It's just like this is TV from another time. Like why are people still watching this? People, come on, it's like. Like, it's like when you get someone they're sort of still inside you know I don't know like like, like watching sort of like this old sort of black and white TV like we have colour <laughs> look we've got Dolby Atmos sound like come out come into the sunlight come join the party don't watch fucking Law and Order yeah I mean it's funny I actually ended up watching an episode of Law and Order Special Victims Unit <laughs> because I do listen to the Pilot TV podcast and Terry and, loves it and Terry she loves, loves it. it and she and I think she makes a very good argument yeah. for why she likes it and I was like you know what I can't and I to be fair I have heard the argument that she makes for mm. it from a lot of other women it's comforting and I watched a random episode I found like a best of list and, and found yeah. one of the best episodes and watched that and was like, oh, you know what? I was kind of gripped by it in a kind of writing and acting way. But it did look like this was a reasonably recent episode, like made in the last five years or something. It looked like something out of 1992, yeah. like, yeah, in terms of the actual production value. But like you say, the far. quality of the episode almost is irrelevant at this point. When you it get is... the people who will watch the show, it's like you yes. say, you'll watch yeah, bad yeah. episodes of Trek because of the fuzzy feeling. People are like, just let it mm. wash over me and I'll I'll, I'll well, see some good ones in there at some point. I'm we sure. had Sarah Phelps on. She was a guest host on Pilot uh, recently and she, uh, of, of Dublin Murders and many other things fame, and uh, and she was saying she was defending Mrs. Brown's boys when it won the National oh, TV Award, yeah. and she made a, 
an incredibly sort of like intelligent and articulate defense of it that made absolute sense to me. She's like, you, it's not supposed to be high art. It's like people have had a shitty week. They've got a shitty job. They've come home. And for these 25 minutes, this show gives them something comforting. They know the jokes. They know the characters. It's warm. It's easy. It's accessible. It's not intellectual. It's not like Fleabag where it's emotionally draining at times. It's quite bleak. It's a little bit sad. You know, it's it's this perfect bubble of escapism. For certain, for people who like that, it works for them. And that's why it's so popular. And I was like, do you know what? And I'm terribly sneery about shows like that. I'm like, she's absolutely right, you know. But what Mrs. Brown's Boys does for the people who voted for it is exactly what Next Generation does for me. Because I cannot watch Next Generation and objectively sit here and tell you to your face, this is great television. <laughs> there are moments of it, like this episode we've talked about today, which is great television. But most of it is not like that. But I love it anyway. I love it for the same reason that I had the Star Trek Next Generation technical manual and I memorized the sort of layouts of it. That You know, if I was feeling a bit sad, I might read about Jeffrey's Tubes or the holodeck. You know, there's just something warm and fuzzy that this would take me to another place and I felt kind of held and understood and safe mm. watching this show. Uh, and it's really, really comforting. And isn't that what TV is for? Well, quite. Yeah. Well, this is the Stephen Trumbull <laughs> argument that he makes about both Doctor Who and Star Trek, isn't it? Where he says, these things have always been a little bit shit, <laughs> if we admit it to ourselves, but we still love them. Going like 100%. I know you don't love Doctor Who, James. Let's <laughs> not get into that today. <laughs> uh, you can find Spotlight at Spotlight Pod at facebook instagram and twitter uh we're available on there come uh check us out mm -hmm. to keep up with all that we're doing leave us a five-star review on apple podcasts there like, are five stars <laughs> yeah yeah there, there are definitely <laughs> five stars but if you hey if you want to scream there are four stars at us we will accept that we're not we'll David do a begrudgingly respectful smile as you walk out the room like son of a bitch <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, we will be back with another episode. I don't know what that will be because we never really know what order these things are <laughs> going to go out or what our schedule is going to be, but we will be back discussing more Star Trek mm -hmm. or something tangentially related to Star Trek. But it's been a great time and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye.